go. Well, good morning. Never sure if it's actually going to switch, so I'm always like, please work. Yeah, that's good. So, good morning. Good that's a little bit better. I just heard it like a morning, whatever. Oh, great. Now he's going to preach. All right. So, um, <laughs> it's just been one of those weeks. It's been crazy. Um, I, I don't know you, but um, my wife is up in uh, South Carolina. Um, she went to visit my daughter, um, and then uh, she's dog-sitting for her while she's in Guatemala leading a mission trip. And it's funny, I was talking to her the other day. I said, when we were first married, I was in the Army, and so I was, like, deployed, like, all the time. Like, I was gone for a month, two months, three months at a time, just always kind of going and everything. It wasn't a problem. I said, I guess we've kind of gotten used to being around because I don't sleep well when you're not here. And stuff. I roll over and I'm like, thump, no, there's nobody there and stuff. And so it's been a crazy week for me. I'm tired, um, but I'm so glad to be here. Um, and I hope you're, you're glad to be here. Um, so, again, when I'm tired, that's when I say don't record. Um, so, because we never know what I'm going to say when I get a little loopy and, and everything. But I'm really excited because we've been doing this series um, through the book of Acts. Um, and we've entitled Never Ending Story because really I, I love the fact that Acts is the only book in the Bible that doesn't have a benediction. It doesn't have an ending because we're still living it today. Um, it is the story that began with Christ um, coming to this planet, living his life, teaching, loving, dying on the cross, and rising again, and then passing that message on to us. And we carry it on today, and we continue to carry it on. And, and it always kind of frustrates me when I hear people saying, man, if we could only be like the Acts Church. I'm like, that's the only church that we can be. That, that, that is, it's the same thing, it's the same power, it's the same Holy Spirit, it's the same opportunity that they had then that we have now. And so this story kind of just continues on through us. And so I, I, I've loved this message, and we're actually going to take a little break on it um, next month because every summer we do our At The Movie series. And so in July, for three weeks, we're going to take a little break. And, but I like where we're at today, we're kind of at a major turning point today. And, thing, and you'll, you'll see that as we're going through. But um, this morning, if, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 8, and, and we're going to be picking up the story there. As always, um, these are the only words that matter this morning. They, they really are. I am so humbled every single week that I get a chance to get up and share um, from these words and, and try to teach and try to um, just kind of expound and put it to application and everything. But really, my words and my thoughts mean absolutely nothing. It's these words. They're the only ones that change us. They're the only ones that we have any authority to speak, any authority that I have to stand up here or to be a church. It's, it's these words. And so out of respect and out of acknowledgement of those words, I'm going to ask with me if you would just stand with me as we read in Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 4. Luke writes this. He says, So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said as they listened and saw the signs as he was performing. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Will you pray for me? God, I thank you this morning. God, I thank you for the opportunity to gather and to be here. And as I said in the beginning, God, you don't need me to preach. You don't need us to sing, but you just invite us to come into your presence. God, to hear from you, God, to be challenged, to be encouraged, God, most of all, to be changed. And so, Father, that's what we ask this morning. God, would you change us 
God, would you meet us where we're at and move us to where we're supposed to be? God, let these words be your words, not mine. God, hide me. Father, that you're the only one that gets credit and glory this morning. Only you. God, we pray for ears to hear, for hearts to respond, and the courage to live it out. God, whatever needs to happen today, God, make it so. Father, let us not leave here with any unfinished business. God, and may you get all the glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, so kind of to catch you up just a little bit, um, we, we have been looking at the story of Acts, the, the formation of the church, this incredible organism. Um, not organization, organism, because it's living, it's breathing, it's people, and, it, and it's, it's talents, and it's gifts, and it's people living their lives, and everything. And, and how Christ basically said, here's the message, now you guys go and take it. And, and so we've seen just miraculous growth, and things happening, and, and thousands upon, every time Peter opens his mouth, a couple of thousand people like come and join the church in Jerusalem. And, everything. and, and so you've seen that, but, but when something starts growing, and something gets popular, isn't it like our culture and every culture to kind of start trying to figure out maybe what's wrong with it? And that's exactly what's happening in church. There are people starting to get intimidated by it. People starting to get worried about this movement that was supposed to just be um, this little local group that should have died out and everything. But it's just growing and it's growing and it's growing. And then last week we saw kind of like the climax of what's happening in Jerusalem with Stephen who's being obedient, who's preaching, and what they do is they stone him to death. And I don't know about you, but when something like tragic happens like that, I kind of take a step back, but that never happens with God. God never takes a step back, but he takes everything and starts moving it forward and continues to move it forward. And so, really, that's what I want to look at today, but I want to I remind you why they're doing this. I want to remind you that there was a call placed on them, and there's a call placed on us that is still relevant today. And that it is God's plan and God's will that that mission just continues on with or without our help. It's going to happen. And so back in Acts 1.8, we remember the call. When Jesus had the disciples, the apostles together, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And, and so we see that happening. We, we see that... Um, it started in Jerusalem, but it, but it's been kind of it's been kind of stuck there. What happened to this? I don't know. You guys may have to switch for me. Um, it, it's been kind of stuck there. It's been staying there. It's been growing there, and everything. The people are loving it. People are changing, and people are doing all kinds of stuff. And I have to find my notes because that's what happens when we use technology. I lost everything. All right, we're, we're just going to keep going. But it's not like it's lazy there. It's not like, like they're, not, they're not doing anything. And so you have all this persecution coming in and everything. And what happens with the persecution come is it starts spreading. Isn't that neat? Persecution comes and the church grows. I, I think in, in our culture, in our country, we've gotten kind of lazy in, in church. Because we've had it really good. You know, as a pastor, I get special tax privileges. We get not, you know, we can do tax-free stuff like that. We, we, it's in our constitution. We have the freedom of religion and everything. And, and so the church kind of grew and boomed here, but then it's kind of plateaued. You go anywhere else in the world 
where you want to see church just growing like crazy, it's where it's facing the fiercest persecution. One of the largest areas in the world right now where people are coming to know Christ are places like the Middle East. Where it's, it's death to you if, if, if you don't. If you don't claim Allah or you claim us or you claim anything else. And there's people literally giving up their lives. In China, the underground church is going on there because of persecution. And it's growing and it's growing and it's growing. And so God takes this persecution and he starts spreading the church out. But what I think is really, really interesting is that, again, it's, it's, not, a, it's not the Holy Spirit telling anybody where to go. It's not anybody doing anything. It, it's this idea that as they were scattered and as they were going, they kept just preaching the word. It came naturally to them. In fact, look at verse 4. It says, so those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word, just like it was a normal thing, like it was an everyday simple little thing that you would do. Like it was part of their conversation. Wherever they went, they just kept preaching. They kept telling. They kept sharing the story. Um, It was their second nature to do this. There's there's another story in the New Testament that kind of, emphasize that jesus tells it you may have heard like the the story the sheep and the goats look at matthew 25 real quick matthew 25 verse 37 through 39 jesus has the sheep and the goats and he separated them and it's a judgment scene and he's telling them like all this stuff you done and you did this and and i love the righteous looks there and says then the righteous will answer him lord when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger or take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? When did we see you? Because we, we never noticed that. We, we just did it. Now, just a little disclaimer here, okay? That passage, a lot of people preach that whole passage of the sheep and goats. Like, you have to do good. That passage in context is actually how we treat Israel. It's judgment of the nations. But I think it can apply to us again, too, where it's this idea that the sheep are sitting there going like, when? I, we just did this stuff. We, we didn't know. And I love Jesus' response. Whenever you did it to the least of these, remember that verse? You've done it unto me. By the way, the goats said the same thing. When did we see you? Because, Jesus, if we knew it was you, man, <laughs> I would have got you a steak. You know, if we knew that was you and everything. I, I would have done this, and we, we would have gotten you nice clothes and all this stuff. We knew it was you. But the idea is that, the, that when we live for God, when we know Christ, and when we transform by him and we're living for him, then the way we live should just be a natural outpouring of who we are. I think so many of us think it's so hard. You know, how do I follow God? How do I, how do I live for him? How, how do I do this? When it should just be a natural outflow. You know, I think one of the scariest things that people hear in church is like, you have to go share the gospel. And they're like, I don't know how to do that. How do I do that? I haven't been to seminary. <laughs> I don't know Greek or Hebrew and, and all stuff. I don't know all stuff. It, it's not about any of that. Can I ask you, is it, is it natural for you in a conversation for it just to turn towards Jesus? Wherever you're at. I mean, it's amazing to me. I, don't, I, I think that everything on this planet has a spiritual tie-in. Every, that's why we do the At the Movies series, because I believe at one time in this country, the church was the center of culture. The church was the place that everybody goes. I think today, if you want to see what people believe, you go to the movies. That's become the new church. 
And every single one of those movies has a spiritual definition behind it. How natural does it come where we just start just sharing the gospel wherever we're at? My, my daughter right now is leading a mission trip in Guatemala. And I, I've, led, I've led a ton of mission trips. And it was always just frustrating to me where you saw you would take kids or families and you take them someplace, some foreign country, and they'd be sharing Jesus left and right. And they're like, this is great. And then as soon as we get back to the States, they're like, oh, I can't do that here. See, it should be natural in us. I think, I think God made us that way. I think that's, why, that's one of the reasons Solomon says he's placed eternity in our hearts because we know there's something more that we can be part of. There's something more that we need to know and something more we need to do and all this stuff. And so for these early disciples, as even as they are running away with people chasing after them, they're like, oh, by the way, there's a Jesus, and we'd like to tell you about him. It was just natural. It wasn't a special prayer meeting. It wasn't a leading of the Holy Spirit. It was just, just came out of them. I just wonder what's changed in our churches and in our culture. What, what's, what's changed that we don't just naturally share this great news? I, I don't understand how to keep that in. You know, you've probably heard before, if you had the cure for cancer or the cure for AIDS, would you keep that to yourself? With so many people suffering and everything, would you just hide that to yourself and not tell anybody? We have the cure <coughs> for the ultimate death, sin. And yet we, we hold it in. We, we, we don't share. And it should just be natural to us. Just say, man, here's what God's done for me. This is amazing for us. Not only did it come naturally, but... And they weren't looking for any big deal. They shared where they were. I, I think, and, and I'm bad at this too. I always have like the, the visions of grandeur. You know, like, oh, one day, I remember when I first started ministry, it says, one day I'm going to be standing in front of thousands of people and writing books and, and all this stuff. And, and man, this, I can see where God's just going to place me up there. And Billy Graham's going to say, well done, kid. Good job. You take over. I'm like, I mean, I had these great pictures. And I think sometimes we think, like, man, if I'm not in this big, like, auditorium or this big thing and I'm sharing the gospel, then it's really not worth it. And so often God doesn't call us to the great things. They call, they call, he calls us to his greatness where we're at. Right where we're at. Whether it's a church of 30 or it's a church of 3,000, it doesn't matter. We go right where we're at. And that's exactly what's happening here. Look at verse 5. 5 through 8. Here's Philip. Philip, by the way, was one of those guys that was ordained as a deacon. One of those guys that said, I'll step up in leadership and I'll go out and I'll do this. Look at verse 5. It says, Then Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said as they listened and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Here you got Philip in the church in Jerusalem going out to Samaria. If you know any of the history of who Samaria is, they were not the Jews' friends. They were considered the half-bloods, for those of you that like Harry Potter. They were muggles. <laughs> they, they didn't like them. 
See, because actually Samaria, what Samaria was, was the northern tribes that when, when Solomon died and his son took over and the kingdom split, the northern tribes went their way. Samaria was the remnant of that. And as Erie came in and they took over and took them out and they brought people back in and they intermarried and they're all different and they had their own temple. They had all their own stuff and everything. And they were the enemies. They were the traitors. Not a place a good Jewish boy or someone would go hang out and try to help out. Yeah, that's right where they put Philip. But what Philip saw was the people, the way God sees the people. See, I think that's our problem so often, that we have the wrong perspective. We see people the way we see them. In, in our culture, we, we, see, we see background, or we see skin color, or we see heritage, or or culture, and we like, well, I can't really talk to that person, all that stuff. But I, I, just, I just want you to say, just understand, the answer to racism and all that stuff is very simple. There's only one race on this planet. It's the human race, and created by God. And any person that says anything different doesn't know the Jesus I know. But we, we, we put limitations to who we should talk to. Why do you think Jesus said, love your enemies? <laughs> it's easy to love those who love you sometimes. <laughs> For those of you who have families. <laughs> it's easy to do nice things, but how about the one that curses you? Man, I, I experienced that this week. And yeah, Universal, it's funny. They all know I'm a pastor, and so they're always like coming up and talking to me. I had some great conversations this week, but I had one guy that just literally just cussed me out for no reason. Just does not like me. And I was just sitting there as myself because I'm a people pleaser just going off the corner saying, God's going to get you. Mm. Mm, I just tell you, cuss at a pastor like that. I'm going to tell you, lightning bolt right there. <laughs> just, yeah. God, if I could only call down fire right now. I just had to. You know what I heard in my heart? Jesus saying, but I love him. I'm like, I, I know, but I don't like him. <laughs> but I love him. And it was so hard being nice to him. That's what we're called to do. We're called to minister where we're at, to share right where we're at. Listen, I never thought in a million years when I started ministry that I'd be part of a small church startup or working at Universal as a security officer, getting hugged by drunks late at night, just going, ah, you know you don't. <laughs> Please walk away and take a shower. <laughs> but that's where we're at, isn't it? Listen, I don't believe in coincidences. I believe you're at the job you're at. You're at the school you're at. You're in the neighborhood you're at because there's someone here that needs desperately to see Jesus. And guess what? You're it. You, you, you have to share where you're at. And that, that's what Philip did. And and. and People saw that. God looked at Samaria and said, here's my sheep without any shepherd. They are lost. And so we have to be willing, no matter how big or how small it is, it's for God's glory anyway, not for ours. We have to be willing to say, I'm going to be obedient right here. I'm willing to share right here. But we have to be wary. Because in this community, in this culture, and in our world, there are people 
that are, that are sheep in wolves' clothing. And unfortunately, there's a lot of them that are standing up and preaching in churches today. There's a lot of people that are twisting and turning. This is why I so beg and honestly say, listen, don't ever take my word or anything. Get this book and just start reading it and reading it and reading it and reading it. So many of us are like sheep just listening to whatever anybody says, and we're like, okay, that's got to be true. Way back when, there was a group of people in Guyana that followed a guy named Jim Jones and said, yeah, I'll drink Kool-Aid. Because he, he he's an authority. No, man, we, we need to study this word. Don't ever take a pastor's word for anything. You, you, you fact check him. You fact check him with these words. But there are people, and, and in Samaria, there was. There's a guy named Simon. Simon was popular. Look at verse 9. A man named Simon, he had previously practiced sorcery in that city and amazed the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least of them to the greatest, and they said, this man is called a great power of God. And they were attentive to him because he had amazed them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, both men and women were baptized. Let me tell you something, there's a lot of falsehood out there. And we have to be wary of it. But can I tell you something? The truth always wins out. Nothing matches the truth of Christ. Listen, I spent years, when I graduated high school, I grew up in the church, everything, and I thought, like, the, this can't be the only way. And I spent two years studying every ism that you could think of, every religion, Buddhism, Islam, uh, Confucianism. I mean, just looked at it all and said, there's got to be, this can't be the only thing. And the only thing I found out that there was only one way, one truth, one life. Those things sounded good, man. There's a lot of great stuff in, in the Quran. There's a lot of great stuff in Buddhist belief and in Hindu beliefs. There's a lot of powerful, wonderful stuff, but it's not Jesus. Every one of those other belief systems, I have to hopefully work well enough and be good enough to make the grade. Praise God that Jesus took care of that for me. See, the truth will win out. And even though when we look at it and we see all this stuff and, and, the, and the spin on everything that we see in our culture and in our news today and in media, and we see the spin and, and all this stuff, I'm going to tell you there's a day when there will be no doubt that what the truth is. In fact, the Bible says that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Today you get to do it by choice. Then there is no choice. So the truth wins out. And so here's this guy, Philip, or Simon, that just, man, he's powerful and he's doing amazing things, but it's not, it's not Jesus. And you're going to run into people like that. You're going to run into people that have great giant ministries that are preaching and doing things that you say like, man, this guy's awesome. This guy's amazing. That's why I'm, I'm begging you, fact check him. That's why we made a commitment here is that the only thing we preach and the only thing we do is based on the, these words. If it's not in here, we don't do it. This is the only authority we have. I know it sounds cheesy. I say it every single Sunday, but I believe that with all my heart. This 
is the standard. This is the guide. This is the authority. Not my opinion. Not what's going to tickle the ears. And the Bible warns us that there's a day coming, and I think it's here now, where men's ears will be tickled because they hear what they want to hear. Listen, if you have faith enough, you can have that jet plane. I don't know who that guy is, the moron that's saying, I need another jet plane. I've got this one good, and I believe God wants you to give me a jet plane and give me. I'm like, dude, go earn miles on Delta and fly. Stop wasting stuff. I mean, we have people like that all the time. There's a huge thing going on in our country right now. It's called the prosperity gospel. It's a lie. I literally had a friend that was told, you know, if you had enough faith or if there wasn't sin in your life, your father wouldn't have died. And I just want to grab that pastor and grab my grandmother's giant King James Bible and say, here, (laughs) read this. We have to be wary of it that there are people out there that are going to look right, that are going to sound right. But do their words and deeds match up to what they mean? That's what we need to do. That's what we need to know. And the culture is full of them. What I love about here, too, is that God is in the act of restoration, too. I'm going to read something that it has caused a lot of people some problem stuff. Look, look at verse 14. It says, now, see, the apostles hear about what's happening in Samaria, and they're like, there's something going on. We're going to go check it out. And in verse 14, it says, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard this, that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And they went down there. They prayed for them so the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because he had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, a lot of people will come and then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, I know there's a lot of people that will look at that and say, well, see, now you have to get you get saved. And then someone prays over you and puts their hands on you and then you receive the Holy Spirit. That is not the case here. I do not want you to get confused. There's something beautiful that happened here. That we don't see anywhere else in scripture, because I mean, later on, we're going to hear about like Cornelius and we're going to hear about all these other people where God just is moment. I believe the moment that you accept Christ, the moment that you understand that I'm a sinner in need of a savior and you come and turn to him, that at that moment, God's spirit indwells you and seals you and protects you. And you are saved forever and ever and ever because he does all the work, not us. But I think what was beautiful here is what happened here. Remember I told you the history of Samaria. That it was enemies. They, they, were, they, they used to be one people. And all of a sudden here comes God. And the Jerusalem church comes where the church starts to the Samaritans that are coming. And it's almost like there's, there's, there's reconciliation with them. See, now what was two different identities, two different bodies, two different total dynamics that were going on. Now the Samaritan church joined the Jerusalem church, and it was it was one church altogether. Now we saw that Samaria, the people that were the enemies of the Jews, that they hated and everything, now they're being united back with Judah, that God is restoring this family back here. And so I think it's very symbolic and beautiful that God sits here and says, I'm restoring, I'm bringing everyone back together through the church right here and that tells me two things first of all nothing nothing is irredeemable think about that for a moment there is nothing you have done nothing you could do nothing you could think nothing you could say that god can't redeem 
and restore. There's no one too far gone that God can't reach. In fact, J.D. Greer, who's now the president of, of the Southern Baptist Convention, which I'm really excited about because I like him an awful lot, you know, he, he puts it this way. There's nothing you've ever said or anything you've ever done to make God love you less, and there's nothing you could ever do to make him love you more. You are already perfectly and completely loved. What a beautiful picture of God reconciling and redeeming and bringing back and that's why i love the church because this is the one organism the one place where it doesn't matter what you've done or what you have or who you are that every one of us stand in the church together pastor to layman every person stands on flat solid ground we are tied together with the simple fact that every single one of us need a savior It doesn't matter. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of God saying, I'm redeeming this. And he chose to use the church to bring together something that was never coming back together on its own. That's why I think the church should be. The church should be the place where where people of different ideas and different ideologies and different political views and different backgrounds can come together and find common ground. The church should be multicultural. The church should have every, every tongue, every language, every face, every person, because it is the church, and it is his church, and he's redeeming the world through it. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of what's happening in Samaria see to be sent which we all are the video said in the beginning we are all sent we are all called that that commission that Christ gave us at the end of Matthew go into all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them everything I've taught you go and make disciples go that is for all of us that's not that's not an idea that's not a suggestion that's a command that we all are sent it's not the professional clergy. It's not just the missionaries. It's not, it's not someone that has these talents or that. It's every single one that says, man, I am a follower of Christ. I am a person that says I put my trust in Christ and I'm going to follow him and go. We are sent everywhere to everyone carrying the greatest message, the greatest hope that the world has ever known or will ever know. We are all sent. If you are sitting here today saying, well, it's not my job. Yes, it is. Every one of us has been entrusted, if you know Christ this morning, with the greatest story, the gospel. And you cannot keep that to yourself. We are sent. But what that does mean is that God sends us, not just ever start anything new. God sends us where, we're, where he's already working. There's no pastor, no missionary ever on this planet that thought of something before God thought of. Of Henry Blackaby and his whole thing, Experiencing God, one of the greatest studies, I think, of modern times we put out. If you've never done it, we may do it here. Again, I've done it like nine times, and I love it every time. He says, we need to find out where God is working and join him there. See, we just join him in what he's doing. We're sent where he's already been, where he's already setting up the place, and, and, and we go and, and, and do that. And that's exactly what happened to Philip. Look at it. He's in Samaria, great success. And all of a sudden, Philip, in Acts 8, 26, it says, And the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. 
get up and go south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. If you know the story, he meets an Ethiopian eunuch that's in his chariot. He's leaving Jerusalem. He's parked on the side of the road, and he's reading this great scripture, Isaiah. And, and it talks about, it, it says, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb assigned before its shears, so he does not open his mouth in his humiliation. Justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. He's reading about Isaiah's prophecy of the suffering servant of the coming Messiah. And here's all of a sudden he's sitting there going like, who is this guy? Who's Isaiah talking about? And God sends Philip. <laughs> and I can almost picture it. Philip like comes up and he hears him reading it. And he's like, who is this guy? He's like, hey, can I help you with that? How many times have we overheard conversations or we heard conversations? Someone's asking some deep spiritual questions and we have the answer. And, and yet we don't say anything. Can I tell you something, too? If, if Philip wasn't going to, if Philip said no, I guarantee you God would have raised up somebody else. See, when you and I say no to God, all we're doing is re refusing to receive the blessing of knowing him more. It's not like God's sitting there going like, oh, now what am I going to do? Who's going to tell this person? Great. Uh, forget this. Our God is sovereign. His will is never thwarted. And if his plan is for this Ethiopian eunuch to hear the gospel and understand who he's reading about, if you don't do it, I promise you, God will do it through someone else. And the only one that's out is you. So often I think God does call us to specific things. We feel that tug on our heart, and, and, and we get white-knuckle syndrome. Remember what white-knuckle syndrome is? When I was a kid, we had pews everywhere, and they were nice curved on the top, and the pastor would preach something. You know God's talking to you, and you're like, I'm not moving. <laughs> and you're squeezing so hard, your knuckles are all white, and no blood's flowing through there. Like, I'm not going. I'm not. I think we get white-knuckle syndrome when, when sometimes God calls us, and the cool thing is, is the more we understand scripture, the more we study it, the more we learn, the more we understand who God's voice is in us, the more we're able to recognize it. This is my greatest goal as a pastor. Not that you ever listen to me, but that you hear God's voice in your life, that you are able to recognize it. And so when he does call, when he says, "Ooh, I'm ready for you, I got something for you, that we're ready to go. When I was in the army, um, Back in the day, I was at the, I was in Fort Stewart, 24th Infantry Division, as part of 18th Airborne Corps, which is the 82nd Airborne, 101st Airborne, and us. Back then, they had a thing called a rapid deployment force, which basically mean that all the time in my closet was a bag. I had two of everything for all my gear and stuff, and there was a bag always ready, always there, just sitting in a closet down the hallway, ready to go. Because at any moment, they could call me and say, you're deployed. In fact, they did that for Desert Shield, Desert Storm. I got a call 3 a.m. in the morning. Say, grab your, grab your go bag. Come on down. Come in. And I didn't see my wife for like 20 days, for like two weeks after that because we were getting everything ready to deploy. We have a go bag. And you're ready. But we're always ready to go. How many of us, if we get that call late at night and God says, I've got some place for you to go, we're going to sit there and go, I'm like, oh. It's late. I'm not ready. See, you and I are commanded. We, we are made to be 
always ready. You know what scripture says? Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies in you. Always be ready. Have your go bag ready. I've got like four Bibles spread out upon my house, so I know where if like someone comes, I know where to grab them. They're all like torn up and all good, but I know they're marked and stuff. I take one with me to work all the time. So it, it's with me all the time, just in case, because I always want to be ready. I don't ever want to be not ready. And so many of us, we, we just sit there. And the good news is that when God calls us to do something, it's not like we got like, okay, how do I start the conversation? How do I, okay, what am I going to say? God prepared the Ethiopian eunuch. <laughs> he had the Isaiah scrolls. He was reading right from the prophecy. We get so scared of sharing the gospel because we think it's about us. Listen, show me the scars on your wrists and your ankles. Show me the scar on the side where they pierced you. Walk on water for me, because if you can do that, then you can save people. If not, let Jesus do his job. You just do yours. All we have to do is be obedient and be ready. And God does rest, and we look and we see. We just have to show up, y'all. That's it. God does the rest. It's the easiest thing in the world. I don't know what to say. Don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit will give you the words that you need to say at that moment. God will lead you and guide that conversation. He will do that. Just show up. And it will change everything. We got to lead the outcome to God. You know, after this, Philip goes on to someplace else. He doesn't go back to Samaria to Simon and says, okay, I got to check on this guy. Did he really repent? Did he change? Because I don't think Simon ever did. I think Simon had selfish reasons. If, if I get this power from you and I can do what you do, more people are going to like me and stuff like that. And there's a lot of people like that. There's the most of the time I grew up, I was the best at playing church than anybody. Man, I knew how to pray. I knew what to say. I could do the whole King James thing. It was good. Oh, thou Lord of... I sounded so spiritual. I was great at playing the game. And there's so many of us and so many people in church today that are great at playing the game. But in the end, we don't know Jesus. It's not a game to play. On the other side, the Ethiopian eunuch, man, he was changed. He went back home, and I guarantee you that he went. There wasn't a discipleship class. There wasn't anything for him. It's like Philip didn't hang out with him for six months and train him and did scripture memorization and did all this stuff. He went back, and I bet you he told a story. Because if we look in history, we see a deep Christian heritage within the people of Ethiopia. See, God does the work. We, we, we just got to show up because we're sent. I love this. John Stott, the great theologian, he said this. He says, his authority on earth allows us to dare to go to all the nations. His authority in heaven gives us our only hope of success. And his presence with us leaves us no other choice. It is God that sends us. It is God that grew the church. First Jerusalem, then Samaria. Also in chapter 9, we read about a guy named Paul. We read later on about a guy named Cornelius and Peter and the Gentiles. And if it weren't for them, we wouldn't be here today. God's church grows and moves under his authority and his power. All we got to do is show up. 
Remember the call, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are sent. And anybody that doesn't feel sent, we need to talk about the Jesus that you know and the Jesus I know. Any church that isn't saying our number one responsibility, our number one goal is to spread the gospel cannot be called a church anymore. John Piper, one of my favorite modern authors, says this. He says, you know what? Uh, The church's mission is not, or the church is not based upon mission. The church is based upon worship. We have mission because there's a lack of worship. We come here Sunday after Sunday and we sing and we worship and we fellowship together and we grow. But how often do we forget that there's people out there that don't know? And whether that's 30 or 3,000, it doesn't matter. Whether it is a big building and all the budget that you can imagine or it's just barely getting by, it doesn't matter. We are sent here for them that they would know. Do you want to know what God's will for your life is? Have you ever wondered that? What's God's will? What, what's the Lord's will for my life? I'm going to tell you right now. To know Him and to make Him known. Everything else is extra. We are sent. We are sent. Let's pray.